0: Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Good morning. Is anyone feeling tired this morning? No? No. Yeah, I heard some yeses. I'm, I'm right there with you. I almost made it till midnight. Uh, <clears throat> I'm so thankful for this new year. I'm thankful for our new song, Making Room uh, for God. And, and God certainly doesn't need our permission to make room. Praise God that he made room in our hearts for him. But there is something to be said about starting a new year and being very intentional about making room for God on our parts. Instead of waiting for God to, uh, you know, like Jonah, swallow a, make a fish, like swallow us. Something extreme to get our attention. And so let us be um, very much about creating room for God. And It's also pretty scary, though, like when we think about it. One of the truest prayers that we can pray is for God to use us. Like, God, use us use my life. And it it sounds great and it is great. That's what that's what we should be saying and praying, but it's absolutely terrifying. Like <laughs> if if you if you're offering God to use your life, man, who knows what he will do. So but let, let us still let us still pray that. <clears throat> so I want to go back a little bit in time now to April 17th, 1521 where reformer Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V in the council of the Catholic Church at the Diet of Worms in Germany. Where Luther was on trial for being a heretic, kind of what his life was about, right? And so at this trial, he, he, a stack of books is slammed down before him, not just books but writings, including his 95 theses, right? And, and the council tells him, you must recant, you must repent, Of all these writings that are becoming super popular, right? Just turning Germany on its head. If he would just recant and repent, he would be welcomed back into the church. Like, he'd be like an all star of the church. And so they're like, dude, just repent of all these writings and we will welcome you back. If he refused, he would be branded a heretic and burned at the stake. And so Luther, in that instance, that day famously responded. Since your most serene majesty and your highness require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one. And it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cognate reason, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this, way brought into subjection to God's word, I can neither I, I can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Now this is the end to one of the greatest speeches in history. Just just in general, but especially in the church, especially the Reformed Church, This is a speech we still stand behind today, and we would still argue today, this is what we still believe. Now, I mention this day, April 17th, 1521, for a specific reason, because there was an April 16th, 1521, right? There was a day before this glorious, important day in the history of Protestantism. The day before, the exact same thing happened. Everything was exactly the same. Uh, they laid down his writings, and they said, Recant, repent. But Luther was not himself. He was a shell of himself. Like, he was quiet. Some people, uh, spectators, said that he was like a mouse. He was, like, afraid, and rightfully so. I mean, he's, you know, the, the, You're going to be burned at the stake? It's okay to be afraid of that. I'm afraid of that. And so that day, the day before, all he could do was mutter that he didn't know. He didn't know if he recanted or not. He needed more time to think about it. And so they gave him more time, which ended up being the very next day. And so two different days, two different responses, right? Now, I imagine Luther has no problem or had no problem with his fame spreading about this event, that people were talking about he stood up to the Catholic Church, right? And and he'd be happy about the spread, right, of the faith and justification by faith alone. I bet even to this day, he would have no problem with us still talking about that. But I wonder how he feels about April 16th. I wonder if he were able to rewrite the history books, if he wouldn't just erase right? April 16th. Forget about, that wasn't me who was just, you know, acted cowardly that day. <coughs> just remember the, the good day, right? I mean, look, after all, the important thing is that he did the right thing, right? Changed the course of history. Even if it was delayed, right? None of us looks back and says, oh, we just had one more day. It was delayed, but he still did the right thing, now I imagine the prophet Jonah, if he could edit the Bible, if Jonah could edit the Bible, certainly the book that has his name on it, right? The, the story we all know about Jonah, I imagine that he would leave out the first two chapters. We can just skip over that, right? We can start at chapter three. We don't need to talk about you know me running away from God not listening to God being thrown overboard being swallowed by a fish being thrown up by a fish nothing to see here it started chapter 3 which is where we're going to be today now i thought today this first day of, of 2023 and happy new year if i didn't say that where am i this morning happy new year church <coughs> And so today, what a great day, perfect opportunity to talk about, you know, making room for God, for changing the course of history, changing our actions, doing the right thing, being faithful to our calling, even if our obedience has been delayed or a long time coming. Better late than never. And I truly believe that, better late than never. And so today we're going to look at Jonah's uh, chapters three and four, if you want to turn there. Is already there perfect perfect and if you're wondering why roger isn't finishing uh the book of jonah it's because he is working on some sermons to preach in africa and so in a couple months and it's going to be exciting we're going to talk a lot more about that but that's why i'm finishing jonah i know you guys wanted him to finish it i'm going to finish it so so we could send him off as a missionary to africa in a few months and we'll talk more about that <clears throat> but let me let me pray for us before we get started Lord, thank you for this new year, uh, um, for, for freshness, Lord, for a clean slate in so many ways, Lord. Uh, may this year uh, be a year that we make room for you, that we are obedient to you, that we repent of areas of our life that uh, for years we've just never truly repented of. May this be a year, Lord, that uh, we bring you much glory in Bakersfield and in our families and workplaces, Lord. May we glorify you in 2023 like we never have before, Lord. Let us not waste this year, Lord, but let it be a year of growth for us in every way, Lord. We thank you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, now we're going to start by going back to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And this is first half of the book of Jonah, Jonah. And so look, you know what, there's just something, let's be honest, there's something about being swallowed by a fish, by sitting in its stomach for for three days, three days, three nights, and being thrown up. There's something about that that changes a person. It is that existential, providential crisis that, that realigns life's meanings and priorities. And we see that in chapter 3 and so keep in mind we're going to look at Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 now look at this new guy that was thrown up Jonah look at the way he acts now and notice the parallel all but one difference here then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying arise go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. And so the second time is a charm, right? Praise God, Jonah does the right thing. He goes where the Lord directs. And so what Jonah does and what we must do is repent. Repent of not doing what the Lord has told us and called us to do which means repenting of not sharing God's message of repentance. Repent of not sharing God's message of repentance. Now as we've read this historical story of Jonah, especially first two chapters Jonah, we are supposed to react. Like that, that that's why this story is here. We're supposed to be almost repulsed. Like it, it's ridiculous. We know what the solution is to the problem. We know what the moral is. Like, dude, just do what the Lord tells you, right? Shake our heads at Jonah. This isn't the way you're supposed to act. Stop running, start listening. It, it is also meant to provoke us to ask ourselves those very questions, right? That's why this story is here. It's not to, to, to shake our head at Jonah. It's to look inward. Like, what about us is like Jonah, is there any aspect of Jonah in us? That, right, that's what this is about. Have we been faithful to communicate the message that God has given us to communicate? Now what's ironic, so ironic here, is that for Jonah, repentance means the preaching of repentance. Church, we have been commissioned to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to preach That spiritual crises and doom can be averted, right? Can be stopped by by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A belief that must not only be received, as we talked a little bit about last week, that we have to receive that faith, but it's also a faith that requires rejection, right? It's a rejection of everything that isn't that faith. To come to faith in Christ is to reject everything that isn't Christ. And I don't think that's what's being preached. We're supposed to be calling people to repentance. We're not calling people to add the gospel to whatever else they already have going on. And so we must be faithful to the command of Jesus in Mark 16, 15, where it says, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Well, how do we do that? What does that sound like? Well, it sounds like John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it sounds like Peter in Acts three nineteen, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sin may be blotted out. And so for the first time in Jonah, like he's the example, right? It's like, hey, now be like Jonah. Now we want to be like Jonah right here. Repent of not sharing that message that God has given us to share. But what was Jonah's message? Was his message one of repentance as well? Let's keep reading in verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So what does Jonah do? Jonah preaches doom. I mean, let's let's just call it what it is. Jonah preaches doom. It's a simple message. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be annihilated. It's going to be destroyed. No one's going to remember Nineveh. Now, it doesn't say that Jonah gave them an option for repentance. And I bet, you know, especially after we read in a couple of, a couple of minutes about Jonah, I don't think he wanted them to know that was an option. He just wants to say what he's supposed to say. Don't let them know that there is another path that they could take, like every other prophet of Israel would communicate. He just warns them. And look, perhaps that was the only message that God had for Nineveh. Maybe God knew that they only needed, in the Hebrew it's only five words, that whole phrase. Maybe that's all God knew it would take to make Nineveh repent. Now notice what Jonah doesn't do. I always thought this was interesting. He doesn't start by making an argument about the existence of God, right? He's not trying to justify why he believes what he believes. He doesn't attack their culture. He doesn't attack their gods. He's not dressed nicely, right? He, he's not somebody you probably want to listen to. I don't even know how socially presentable he would be after soaking in in stomach acids for three days and whatever that looks like and whatever that smells like. He was just a guy given a message to deliver, a message of doom. And so likewise, we must share God's message, even doom. Now, our message of doom is different than Jonah's. Jonah's message was, like, very physical. You guys are going to get pounded. You guys are going to get wiped off the face of the earth. The gospel message of doom is spiritual separation from God, an eternal hellfire that we earned, right, that we bought with our sin. Now, last week we talked about the gift of Jesus, right, this perfect gift. There's no better gift than Jesus. So what's the opposite of that? What's the worst possible thing you could have or place you could be? Hell. Right? That is the opposite of Jesus. It is, it is hell. So then why don't we preach doom? Why don't we preach doom? Why do so many evangelistic conversations start with God has a wonderful plan for your life? That's not the gospel. If so, Paul didn't get that one. Or any of the disciples. Or so many heroes of the faith for that matter. It's not the gospel. The gospel is that God offers us a wonderful savior. Not a wonderful life. A wonderful savior. What makes him wonderful? He saves us. From what? Hell! We don't like to think about hell. That eternal cosmic punishment, physical and spiritual suffering and pain never ending. So why don't we preach doom? We don't want that for anybody. Because nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. Any bad news. Like you got a parking ticket, we don't even want to give that bad news, let alone endless physical, spiritual suffering. Nobody wants to volunteer to give that. We also don't want people to hate us. Don't hate the messenger, right? If you live in a world where disagreeing with someone is is likened to hating them, how much more so if we tell that person we disagree with that they need to change, that what they're doing is hell-worthy, hell-bound. Yet we must And I believe part of the reason, at least generally speaking, the church isn't getting many converts from sharing the gospel is that the church is not sharing the gospel. Our message is ignored. An incomplete gospel is an ignorable gospel. I mean, let's just be honest. If I heard what I hear people saying now, I don't know, like how I rationalize coming to the faith, right? I hear this. I hear evangelistic conversations. I'm not persuaded by them. There's no fear. There's no doom about them. Our message is too easy to ignore, and it reminds me of somebody um, outside of a supermarket. If you've ever, and we try to avoid them. We know what we're talking about. Selling cookies, selling candy. We already pre-ordered cookies if we wanted them, right? And so we ignore them, but we present a gospel that is just as easy to ignore. Now, what if that same person, let's say selling candies, they tell you, you are going to die. And then you're going to die again, painfully. Only this time you're not actually going to die. It just keeps on going. Unless you eat this candy... Right? I my guess, I, I, I imagine an upswing in sales. Uh, certainly, conversations. Those conversations are going to be a lot longer. More inquiries into what is this about that you're talking about. We must give the complete gospel message because we don't know what's going to happen. Again, let us read verses 5 through 10 here, <clears throat> a big chunk of scripture. how they turned from their evil way God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it praise God that's great city of 120,000 people saved because why the guy preached doom he didn't even preach like the whole you know part about repentance he just preaches doom praise God what we find here, church, and what we must learn here is that we need to share God's message and leave the results to God. Share God's message and leave the results to God. God is in control. All right? God is absolutely in control. We are called to preach the gospel, even doom. None of us is powerful enough to save somebody. None of us has enough power to bring somebody from death to life. The gospel can do just that, right? That's the power of the gospel message. Like the the power is in the message itself, so we must actually give that message in order for it to do its work. And Paul highlights this in Romans 1 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Paul, if anybody, could have said, you know what's awesome? Like me, and the way I share the gospel. guy was trained, seasoned. He's like, no, it's the message. He even says later on in his career, he doesn't care who gives the message. As long as the message is given, that's where the power is. And this should free us from fearing to share the gospel. Nineveh was saved. A wretch like me was saved. That is scary. A guy like me can be saved. You guys were saved. And so we have to put the gospel message in play, right? There are people in Bakersfield the Lord wants to save. They just need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Even the doom, even the bad news, which what? Makes the good news the best news possible right there's no better news and so from here we're going to move on to chapter 4 and if you were just about anybody but Jonah you'd be so overjoyed at what's happening with the Ninevites but not Jonah let's read Jonah's response in chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 but he displeased Jonah exceedingly he was angry And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Or as we would say, what's your problem? Seriously, bro? Like, that's that's your response? And although Jonah does the right thing and he gives the message, he is not happy about it. He's like so annoyed. He's like a teenager who has been forced to do something they don't want to do. And he's like so miserable, he could just die. I mean, we have to just call it what we would call it now. Jonah is acting emo. This is what spoiled looks like. This is what entitled looks like. As long as he's okay and Israel is okay, everything is fine. Who cares about anybody else? He is annoyed by the very things that we celebrate and sing about. The character of God, God's love and patience and long suffering and enduring is relenting. Why is he upset? Because he doesn't want to share. He doesn't want to share God with anybody. It's okay for God's people to experience God's character, but as far as Jonah's concerned, his people can experience mercy, everybody else can get judgment. He's already saved. They're already good. Don't worry about anybody else. And as horrible as that sounds, we do the same thing. We do the same thing, church. When we faithfully come to church and yet don't share the gospel with those who we don't like, with our enemies, what we say by our actions, by our actions, is that God's mercy, great for us. Too bad for everybody else. I don't care if I'm the last one in heaven, good for me, I'm in. Who cares about anyone else? And what Jonah forgot and what we forgot and forget is that we forget what it was like to experience God's grace towards us. We have been so privileged for so long, we have forgotten what it's like to be hopeless. Which is a great characteristic of being a Christian, right? We forgot what it's like to be hopeless. But it's not so good when we consider that there's people, neighbors, who still are in that hopelessness. We who have transformed hearts by the gospel should live and breathe and think and speak the gospel, even the doom, even to our enemies. Let's move on to verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it may be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And so... Jonah loves his comfort more than he loves the glory of the Lord. He's exceedingly glad for his comfort. Again, the the irony here is that Jonah is celebrating his deliverance from discomfort while being angry about the deliverance of the lives of 120,000 people in Nineveh. In fact, the twist and judgment of this story is that Nineveh appear to be the most faithful people to God in the whole book. Right? They hear five words, turn inside out, trying to please the Lord and, and appeasing the Lord. While well, Jonah, the prophet of Israel, although he, re- he repents in words, he does the right thing. He never repents with his heart. Right? That's what the chapter 4 is about. He did the right thing, but man, is he still in a really bad place. He has a theology of God that we already heard about. It's accurate. It is correct. But he doesn't let his theology affect his heart. He just knows a bunch of facts. But he hasn't been transformed by those facts. Jonah's comfort is his God. right? Jonah's comfort is his God. And forgive me if I can't see a parallel, at least generally, in the church in the West. Do we love our comfort more than we love the lost? Do we love our comfort more than we love the lost? I think if we're being honest, the answer most of the time is yes. Let's be honest. Yes. And I get that. Like, I do. The problem is, is that's not what Jesus wants for us. We need to stop looking infu- inward and look outward to those who need to be comforted with the gospel, those who are still lost and hopeless. Our comfort is fleeting like this plant. Like whatever comfort we have today can be gone tomorrow. The only comfort that endures is Christ. So we must bring glory to Christ through the sharing of his gospel and the salvation, even of people we don't like and even of our enemies, because they are image bearers just like us. They are people just like us. Even if they root for the wrong team or from the wrong city or country, they are people just like us which God is communicating in verses 8 through 11. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for that plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor you did not make grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And I should not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. And so the Lord highlights the priority of Jonah's heart here. Jonah cares more about comfort and stuff a plant, right? A plant than actual people that the Lord made. And look, I, I don't think there's anybody here, don't admit to it if it is you, that you love a plant more than people, right? But how many of us here have that love for our phones? Again, judging by our actions, not by what we think we should our screens, our cars, our points of view. Like, what silly thing is it in the grand scheme of of things that keeps us from sharing the gospel? Seems pretty silly that Jonah cares more about a plant, yet we care about technology that's going to be useless in a couple of years instead of sharing the gospel. One of my favorite professors in seminary, Dr. Blomberg, he used to say, maybe I've said this before, but if you aren't thinking five million years into the future, you aren't thinking like a Christian. Like we must be thinking long term. We will have more than enough comfort and joy in heaven. Right now, we have a message that people need. In conclusion, church, we, like Jonah, are called to share a message from God to those who don't have it. Even of doom, even to people we don't like. And look, perhaps up till this point in your life, you would say, man, I look more like Jonah in chapters 1 and 2. Maybe even this morning like Jonah in chapter 4. Maybe you've run from that responsibility to truly share your faith. Or like Martin Luther on April 16th, 5021, who's just, too afraid to speak up. Let 2023 be your year. Let 2023 be your Jonah chapter 3, right? Your April 17th, 1521, the time when you decide to stand up and speak up and share that message God has given you. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ from hearts that know what it's like to be hopeless and experience the grace of God Knowing we aren't even responsible for the results, let us leave some of those comforts that we have to comfort those in Bakersfield who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I was Nineveh. We were Nineveh, Lord, people who were, gotta be careful with my words, <clears throat> not good. We were sinners, Lord, who deserved to be destroyed. And yet you brought the gospel to us. You opened our hearts and minds. And we thank you for your love, for your relenting of your judgment on us. But we also know that part of that was you also gave us a message with that, that others can experience this as well. And may we be faithful as a church to never hold back whether it's a co-worker, a family member, a neighbor, somebody at the market, whoever it might be, never cease to, to give this message, Lord. Even, even the parts that are difficult to give, that people need to hear, that the gospel or the cross isn't a keychain you add to everything else in your life, it is the most essential, necessary, beautiful thing required in this life. May you use us, Lord, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.